Hey y'all, and welcome to the Herbal Hour. This week we're talking about mythology. We're looking at how the Jungian archetypes play into an understanding of mythology, what myth means to us in our lives in these modern times, uh, the spiritual aspects of martial arts and the hero's journey, and we touch on themes in popular movies such as Star Wars. Join us this week as we get mythical. Here is an excerpt from the episode that you guys may enjoy. These gods are, whether or not they're actual physical ex- existing beings, I mean, it's impossible mm-hmm. to say yeah, for sure. It's- but I can say for sure that they exist as elements within our psyche. So something like, you know, Aries, it's an, it could be thought of as an element that exists in your own mind, the warlike, mm-hmm. the aggressive element which is a kind of energy in the body. And it's obviously fighting with these other gods, other energies in the body. And Zeus is kind of the all ruler. That's like the consciousness, the spark of light. Um, um, It's interesting. I've heard it said that Zeus is very similar to Jesus, like Jesus, Mm -hmm. like that there's some kind of common lineage. Today we have an awesome guest, my uh, good friend of a long time, James Arizzo. He's quite a mythology enthusiast, as I am as well. Uh, Just previously, we both recorded uh, Beyond Humanity, which is a story that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, You were the voice of Prometheus, and I was Hephaestus and Chiron. So um, this episode, I wanted to talk about mythology and what the significance of mythology is in our lives. What do you think mythology represents? What does it mean in our lives? What is its use? I think mythology overall is just the story of pretty much humans. Mm. You know, it's like um, Greek myth and Norse myth, all their gods look human, you know, and uh, throughout history, people have used this and as like a tool for creating... um, different uh like character arcs and like pretty much like motivation you know they've been very motivating to people and um that's what i always found um particularly interesting about greek mythology Mm -hmm. is that the gods in greek myth like you know chiron prometheus apollo zeus hercules persephone hades they're very uh personified Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're involved in human affairs. They get jealous of each other. They, you know, have anger. They get it's violent. Like a big they soap fight. Opera. They yeah. have children. And it's mm-hmm. like they're much closer to humanity than, you know, gods and other myths are because they're very much like us. You would almost reading some of these myths of um, the Greek gods, you think are these, you know, soap operas of, you know, people. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the most powerful things. So, um, when did you get started in studying myth? Um, about when I was like a late teenager, you know, I think we all go kind of through like, um, like just as a man, you know, I wanted to, I got into like lifting weights and started exercising and I really tried to like be the best I could be in like a kind of like warrior aspect. So what kind of got me, um, started like with mythology is like like the story of Hercules. Mm. You know, the story of Hercules, you know, he goes through these 12... Um, labors, right? 12 labors mm-hmm. where he has to slay the Hydra. The Nemean lion and all these other... Yeah. That, you know, I think that story is particularly interesting because 
it's kind of like one of the original heroes myths because it's like here's the hero and he has mm-hmm. you know this many challenges and he has to go through these challenges um to kind of find his way in life and i think um especially joseph campbell was very keen on talking about the fact that pretty much every tradition of mythology is based around this pattern of the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. He has a book called uh, The 10,000 Faces of the Hero. And it's all about how through all these stories, um, you know, like Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology, um, Egyptian, all these different uh, avenues of storytelling, they all tell the same story. And that story is the story of human development and how the human goes through certain stages and they grow and they have struggles and challenges and they overcome them. Yeah, even in like certain movies and shows today, like Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, which recently came out, you know, they brought back some of the um, historical and mythological aspects, what what made the originals good, Mm. you know, where, um, you know, where Rey had to like actually train, you know, and um, be kind of hero. come into you know I mean? herself like, and yeah, you know. find. It's actually interesting in the most recent movie, not to spoil it for you guys, mm-hmm. but she has like this classic fight, um, and what in Jungian psychology they call it the encounter with the shadow. Mm-hmm. So in that movie, she kind of encounters her dark side, right? She her did, dark, she did, you know, yeah. her Sith side. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, I don't want to spoil it, but she has a lineage from, you know, not so good sources. Yeah. Uh, and then she kind of battles that within her own self. And she asks, like, the fundamental question of pretty much all Greek myth is, like, do we decide our lives or, or do the fates decide yeah. them? And uh-huh. she's kind of struggling with that is, like, am I destined to be this terrible person that my family is from? Mm-hmm. Or can I become a Jedi? And I think that scene is so beautiful where she literally fights her own shadow self. And that's uh, similar in one of the other, I think it was episode maybe six or seven, where Luke yes. sees um, Darth Vader as himself. In five. The helmet episode breaks five. open yep. and he mm-hmm. sees himself. And that's kind of the, um, in archetypal language, in uh, Jungian symbolism. That's the encounter with the shadow. And the shadow basically is all the aspects about ourselves that we wish weren't true. Everything that we repress about ourselves, all, you know, everything we hold as a negative quality of ourselves and we don't like to express, it becomes a kind of deeper part of our psyche as the shadow, as this like internal enemy that's always fighting us. It's our, you know, anger, our violence, aggression, Mm -hmm. hate, any kind of like bad emotion that we don't like to express. Um... That's where that's where the yin and yang come from. There's always going to be, you know, a good side to people and a bad side to people, and you know, it's it it um, mythology. I think um, t- teaches us lessons, right? You know, like it teaches us, um, you know, like what to do in certain situations, or you know, like because if when you have a journey, you're not just gonna. It's not just gonna be like obstacle free. There's always gonna be obstacles ahead. You know, like it's not. It's uh, and that's what mythology teaches us. To, that yeah. This, you know, you, you have know, to that's overcome kind of these the, certain obstacles. I've heard some wise people say that's the way they view myth. And I, I agree with that, that myth is a kind of way of learning where kind of all the obstacles are and the mm-hmm. struggles, the same struggles and difficulties and trials that all of humans face if they're moving towards growth um, and kind of the solutions and kind of what can go wrong 
Like a lot of um, myth are stories of tragedies. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, um, unrequited love, a lot of uh, betrayal, a lot of um, murder and loved Lust. ones dying Lust. and how they yeah. cope with it and mm-hmm. um, mortality like, and like becoming fam- a family fighting. You a know, lot of family fighting. You know, like Zeus and uh, Ares, you know, he's, Ares is the son of Zeus. They were always butting heads. You yeah. know, he says, Ares, like, why are you always starting these wars? You know, and then you have uh, his um, other daughter, Aphrodite, who's the goddess of love, who's completely different, you know, and uh, you have his wife, Hera, who, you know, who actually doesn't like Zeus. Mm-hmm. You know, she, uh, she can't stand him always, you know, you know, he pretty much having sex with these uh, either other gods or, or goddesses mm-hmm. or like humans. There's a lot of that so, in those yeah, myths. Yeah. So Hera, you know, there's so many stories where Hera tries to kill like Hercules mm. and uh, like by, you know, putting like snakes in in his crib when he was like a baby. Mm. But um, there's a, a deep you know. symbolic component to myths where it's like these myths represent elements in our psyche they represent certain symbols certain energies um that's the way i view it um nowadays most people um in the western world at least are either monotheistic or they're they're atheistic they don't really believe in you know there being many gods who are deciding their fate they either uh believe in kind of one god like an all creator all ruler um or they just don't believe in that at all they believe religion was better polytheistic Changed my mind. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, I think it was so a, much cooler. Yeah, when it was polytheistic. <laughs> there's, you know? a, there's a there's a way to view it where it's these gods are whether or not they're actual physical ex- existing beings. I mean, it's impossible mm-hmm. to say yeah, for sure. It's, but I can say for sure that they exist as elements within our psyche. So something like you know Aries, it's an it could be thought of as an element that exists in your own mind, the warlike, mm-hmm. the aggressive element which is a kind of energy in the body. And it's obviously fighting with these other gods, other energies in the body. And Zeus is kind of the all ruler. That's like the consciousness, the spark of light. Um, um, It's interesting. I've heard it said that Zeus is very similar to Jesus, like Jesus, Mm -hmm. like that there's some kind of common lineage. That's what you find in a lot of Greek myth and Christianity is if you go back, it's it's tied to Egyptian. It's very similar. Like you had, um, which was interesting because um, one of the pharaohs, uh, Akhenaten, mm-hmm. he was he all of a sudden changed the Egyptian uh, religion to monotheism, where mm. uh, Ra was uh, just the one god. Mm. It was uh, I think I forgot what the the name. It was like um, um, it was I know it was like just Ra, and it was very controversial. Mm. You know so. People. There's definitely a lot of that. There's like one of the common arguments against religion uh, mm-hmm. that is very popular these days and has some truth to it is that religion in large force has been used to control people. Like cultish. Like the Council of Nicaea where they kind of uh, decided, you know, what parts would be in the Bible and which ones weren't. Uh-huh. But um, I've heard a great point said is that these stories would not continue with us. We would not remember them if they weren't memorable. And they're memorable because they touch on deeper aspects of ourselves. Uh, And they're very easy to remember because they tell common human stories. So when you read, you know, the the struggles of Hercules 
uh, all these trials and tribulations uh, facing monsters. Mm-hmm. Although we don't directly face monsters, we face metaphorical monsters in our everyday life. Yeah, yeah. we face you know our bosses, our bosses. We know, face competition, our in own martial arts. internal yeah. uh, struggles. We face you know depressions. We face mm-hmm. anxieties. We go to certain points in our life and we're not sure what to do. Terrible tragedies happen to us and we don't know how to act. We could become jaded. Um, and these stories kind of give a way to understand that there is a way through all these struggles. And the most beautiful thing about it, I think, is that they show that these struggles that we face are common to all humanity. That's why these myths talk about them, because they're important. Um, And it's actually interesting, too, that mythology kind of comes from an unconscious place, Mm -hmm. kind of where all great artwork comes from, which is from you can't really consciously decide to create a beautiful work of art. It more comes through uh, elements of yourself that you are not directly aware of. Obviously, you have to you know, train your body either to be a painter or you have to train yourself in lyricism to be a rapper or something. But mm-hmm. you, you train your body to express something that you don't like really decide. So, for example, when I was uh, writing this uh, story, Beyond Humanity... Which we uh, kind of acted out, which that was a lot. Of it was fun. awesome. That yeah, was, it was that cool. Was a lot of fun. It's like a like science fiction and mythology, right. which, which are two like they my seem favorites. like they're like non connected, but I think that there's a, they yeah they are somewhat connected. I think that you know? maybe that could be the future of humanity that we you know we are aware and live the ancient myths and the ancient ways of living, but we still have technology. I don't mm-hmm. think that they're exclusive. I don't think that like we have to be you know, at the greatest peaks of scientific progress and have to be atheistic in the sense that we don't believe in some greater meaning to life. Like, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily believe in, you know, this all-father God who you can speak to directly and they, you mm-hmm. know, grant your wishes or they punish you. I think that's a certain kind of mythology. But I do believe in forces greater than ourselves that influence our lives, whether they're physical beings or they're aspects of our minds. It really makes no difference in practice. So for this book, when I was, um, not book, but this um, story, story, maybe it'll become a book. Um, Or a movie. It was good. I basically, what I did is I researched, you know, all about transhumanism, which is this idea that humans are moving towards this place where we're integrated with machinery, where we're integrated with technology and computers. So there's like the microchips and then there's the idea that you know our phones are in our pockets now but eventually they might be in our brains uh it's already coming pretty close this idea that we're going to become symbiotic with technology uh as time goes on um but i think that as i was writing this i didn't like really decide what was going to happen ray bradbury brought up this really great point he's a great uh short uh novel writer short Hmm. story okay um and he said the way to create really great literature is to make really strong characters that have certain viewpoints, they have certain wants, desires, they have things that they hate, they have this strong idea base and morality. You create a bunch of those different characters and you just kind of throw them in there and you just see what happens. How do they talk? How does Chiron talk to Prometheus? How does Hephaestus, the crippled craftsman of the gods, mm-hmm. how does he talk to everyone else? What it, What are his motives? You know, what does Prometheus want? Prometheus wants always what is best for humanity. He's kind of the original scientific progressive minds. Um, And Chiron is like the level-headed healer educator who sees kind of the big picture of things. 
Um, so you kind of throw those characters together and then you see how they, rea uh, they react and they interact. And I think that's how a lot of these myths were written. Um, I think they come from an inspired source mm -hmm. that you can't really say from where because uh, Jungian theory would say that they come from the collective unconscious and they express themselves. But you like don't actually know what's going to happen. As I was writing it, this is weird. I don't know if you guys have ever written uh, like short stories or anything. Probably did for like English class. But you actually don't know what's going to happen. It's not like no. you like plan out like this and that and this. And that. You just kind of write it and it inspires you in a certain direction. So I think it's really a uh, beautiful expression. And, you know, storytelling is one of the main ways that not only do we transfer knowledge, but we remember knowledge. Like stories make sense. Like a story of a great success that's motivating. You know, if someone tells us, you know, the science shows that, you know, if you wake up at this and that time, you know, you'll be more healthy. And, you know, if you eat this and that, mm -hmm. like those aren't really actionable. It's like, yeah, I should do that. Yeah, that's the best thing. But these stories of, you know, great heroes who fought against their greatest demons and overcame those stories have power to uh, change our lives in the way, you know, we treat our family and the way we treat our friends how we act in the face of conflict. It's we also interesting how they've got uh, passed down from generation to generation because these are like ancient stories and like everyone has their like twists and turns on them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a character like was an added character or maybe um, maybe even like the bad guy wins, you know? Yeah, like, there's always different, there's always different interpretations of mm -hmm. even the same God. So like myth is not like one thing. No. Mythology, I think in the most basic sense is archetypal human stories in a sense or they could mm -hmm. be stories of the gods or energies um but yeah it's it really is fascinating how common certain mythological themes are through all cultures like you look on the other side of the world in asia and you you know line up with stories from the west and you're like this is the same story it's the same they're thing. talking about serpents and snakes and in the east the serpent is a symbol of wisdom and in the west it used to be a uh, symbol of wisdom, like with Asclepius, the snake on the staff, the, mm -hmm. the healer archetype. Um, but in Christianity, it became, you know, the tempter. It became, you know, oh, the with, devil, the with Satan. Adam and Eve, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's the same mythological theme. And I think what they're saying is they're both talking about the same thing, but they come to a different interpretation. And that's why something like Greek religion slash mythology is fundamentally different from Christian mythology because they come from a different kind of morality is. where they view, you know, wisdom as a possible source of evil in certain cases versus mm -hmm. wisdom is always good hmm. or something like that. Because if you remember, I was speaking on a previous podcast episode with uh, Jacob about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's really a big question of why was eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil really so bad? What was it that was wrong about it? For, was it a necessary step? I guess, I guess it was just like the temptation of it. Mm. You know, like... Because it was guess, the one thing humans were not supposed to do, like the knowledge that we were not supposed to have. Uh-huh. Because, well, because humans, like, they're always tempted. You know, they want to have that cigarette or try that drug, you mm -hmm. know, like, so it's just, I think humans are just tempted to, like, do what they're not supposed they're to from. do. And that, you know, that's like, actually that's, an interesting mythological theme that comes yeah. in a lot of stories, which is like, you know, the God in the story tells the person, you know, you can do anything, but just don't go to that forbidden forest. And then they do. Of course they do. <laughs> you know? And they have incredible struggle, but they end up all the wiser because of it. It's almost like a lesson. Yeah, They're all lessons. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. There's 
the stories of the oracles are very interesting in Greek mythology. Uh, the oracles basically Delphi, right? predicted, that? that was one of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. They predicted what would happen in people's lives. And pretty much the myths are unanimous in, you know, someone would hear their fate and they didn't like it. They were like, this is terrible. I need to avoid this. And they would do everything in their power to avoid it, right? Mm -hmm. And everything that they did in their power to avoid it is exactly what made it happen, right? It's like the oracle, the oracle at Delphi told Achilles, this was right before the Trojan War was about to happen. And the oracle said, um, Achilles, if you don't go and fight for the Greeks against the Trojans, your name will never be remembered in history. And, you know, you'll live, you'll die an old man. But if you do go, your name will will be remembered for ages and ages, but you will you will die. Mm. And but you know, Achilles, the tough guy and warrior he was, mm. he went mm -hmm. and he fought for the Greeks. They took Troy, and then uh, Paris shot him in the heel. Mm. You know, Achilles' heel. Yeah, the Achilles' heel. The weakness. Mm -hmm. What do you think that uh, image represents? Because um, there's the story that he was dipped right yeah, by his mother his um, in the river Styx, which mm -hmm. is the kind of river of the underworld. Uh, and anyone who was dipped in it would become immortal. But he was dipped by his mother. I believe she was holding him by the heel. By so the heel. his heel was not dipped. So it was the mm -hmm. only part of him that was not immortal. So he was an unkillable warrior, except for the fact that he had a, a, a deadly weakness that no one knew. But... But that's that's all humans. Everyone mm. has a weakness. You know, no one is invincible. You mm. know, it's everyone like you see in like in martial arts fighting or with sports teams. You know, they all have uh, some certain weak weakness. You know, maybe their goalie isn't good. Maybe uh, maybe their offense isn't very good. Uh, you know, maybe uh, someone's ground game isn't good. You know, everyone has a weakness, and that's what the story of Achilles tells. Mm. You know, like he. I mean, he was phenomenal warrior but mm. obviously he uh you know he got yeah killed, you know the story of um one of the reasons why i chose Chiron and prometheus because they have a deep relationship in mm -hmm. uh greek mythology so do they they do yeah mm. I'll, I'll explain why so prometheus is widely thought of and well known as you know the one who brought fire to humanity fire was punished for it he also um he changed certain ritual rites he was always a proponent of humanity. So he said, you know, humans should not sacrifice, you know, full animals with all their flesh to the gods because they need to eat. They're starving. So we should change the rituals so that, you know, they only sacrifice the bones and the fat of animals so that they have meat for themselves and then they give the offerings to the gods. So he was kind of like a reformer. So he was punished for that and the fact that he stole fire, I believe, from Mount Olympus from the gods and gave it to humanity, which I think is a symbolic image of someone who kind of goes to the heights of the mind of spirit, finds some great wisdom, brings it down, tries to bring it to humanity and is punished for it. Jesus mm -hmm. is a perfect example of that because mm -hmm. he brings, you know, the teachings of God to people and he's crucified for that very same act. Um, so anyway, he was punished by being chained to a rock um, and he's immortal, so he can't die. Every night, um, I believe it was a crow, would come and eat his liver. Really? And he would wake up in the morning with it regenerated. And the cycle ended, it was an uh, eternal cycle of suffering. suffering. Kind of like human existence. This mortality, this trap it's in the flesh. Suffering. The liver was 
for the Greeks, it was the place where the soul resided, mm -hmm. the place where the spirit resided. So it's like your life force. So it's symbolic of the fact that we struggle throughout the day and at night we go to sleep, we go into the kind of void, the dream state, we wake up refreshed, but we're kind of trapped in the cycle. Now, um, Chiron was accidentally shot by an arrow, I believe it was from Achilles, while they were out on some kind of hunt. And he was shot with a arrow uh, that was tipped in hydrous poison, which is an incurable poison, incurable disease. Chiron was, was this great healer herbalist, but he couldn't cure Himself. the damage really? from, uh, from this hydra tipped poison. It was, and he was immortal, so he couldn't die. So this is where the myth of, they call it the wounded healer. And it's a very potent myth, especially in terms of healing, because what I've noticed is that many people in the profession I'm in and also all healing professions, we kind of all come to healing with like our own deep like issue with ourselves. Like we have some kind of health condition, some kind of chronic condition. We have some uh, issues with anxiety or depression and we seek to become healers to help that. But the idea is that certain flaws of ours are fundamentally incurable. So now what Chiron ended up doing is he essentially sacrificed his life to uh, Zeus. Zeus was the one who imprisoned Prometheus for you know going against the gods, bring fire to humanity. And um, Chiron gave up his immortality so that he could die. He gave it to, to free Prometheus and Prometheus hmm. was freed. Interesting. So that's how they're actually related. I didn't even, I'd never heard of that story. So it's kind of like the it's, redemption uh, of yeah, a healer through sacrifice of like a great person who's punished by society. So what happened to Prometheus after? He was just let go and... He continued in his journeys. I don't um, know exactly what he did afterwards, but there's many stories of what he did. Um, I think the story of Prometheus also shows you about people going against the grain. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I guess more traditional people will like follow any type of order, right? Like if you have more... Well, that's Zeus. Yeah. Zeus is all about order yeah. and uh, keeping things... And that's necessary, but, uh -huh. but it's kind of like the challenge yeah. to order. It's the progressive mm -hmm. mind, what happens. And a lot of these, you know, scientific reformers, although, you know, 200 years after their death, it was like, oh, of course that's true. Like, of course that's true. Mm -hmm. During the time they were getting, you know, stoned and crucified yeah. for what they were saying that is now obvious to us. So mm -hmm. it's kind of... Um, because it went against the grain of what the mass of yeah. people believed in. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess that story, you know... Uh, what is, uh, what is one of your favorite stories of myth? Like, which one do you constantly go back to and think about in your life? Um, I love the story of um, Hercules, as I said earlier, mm. and Perseus. Mm. Perseus had to um, pretty much slay the Kraken. Otherwise... Um, Andromeda was going to be um, sacrificed by the mm. Kraken. So, and he was a demigod, half half man, half god. Mm. He was the son of Zeus, and I forgot who his mother was. But um, so he went out on the hero's journey, you know, with Pegasus, and um, he had to go to Medusa, Medusa's lair, mm. and get the head of Medusa so he can so so that he could have um, um, get her head and. Because because Medusa she turns people to stone. Right. Anyone and who any, gazed, any any animal any any person. You know that I think that um, 
that myth relates to one of those lines in the story, which is when you gaze into the abyss, it yes. stares back at you. That's actually that a was saying a good line. from Nietzsche. That's not um, something I came up with. Is it really? But I think oh. that it symbolizes that when you look into the face of chaos, you become paralyzed. Mm. When you look at, you know, the great tragedies of life or the great terror of life, you're paralyzed. And this is like a common human uh, feeling. Like before my first fight in um, uh, kickboxing, when you're kind of facing your opponent and you're like, okay, that's it. They close the cage behind you. You have, you have a choice. You can either become paralyzed by fear or you can fight through it. And the, the myth and the stories of great warriors was probably the biggest factor in me actually not being afraid of an activity that is, is dangerous. And if you, you know, you keep your guard down, you, you could get knocked out. You can get seriously injured. Um, but if you face your fear, if you conquer your fear, it's amazing what can happen. And that applies to everything in life. I'm sure that, I'm sure that also helped uh, different, you know, cause Greek had city States. I'm sure that helped a lot of their armies who rise to the occasion. Well, they kind you know of, I mean? the different cities had their own like patron gods. So I they know. were, they were warring. So, you know, one city like Athens was their Athena. great God was Athena and mm-hmm. um, like Sparta, like, what, like, probably Ares. Prob- probably Ares. I don't think. Warring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. So they had their own gods and they believed in the other gods, but they, people would favorite. choose which one they wanted to worship. And actually, um, it was very common for, if you wanted a certain thing, you'd pray to a certain God for it. So like if you wanted money, you'd pray to uh, Pluto. Uh, that's in the Roman, the Roman name. Yeah. Um, if you wanted, you know, victory in combat, you'd pray to Ares. You'd worship Ares. You'd give sacrifices to Ares. If you wanted, you know, wisdom, you might pray to like Athena or Chiron. If you wanted, you know, order in your life, you might pray to Zeus. And I think that you don't have to necessarily believe in these gods that are existing for them to have an effect on your psyche. Because I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you feel afraid and you visualize yourself as like a lion or a tiger, and how would it like a lion or tiger act? And you feel like that, like that energy or that force it can motivate you to do things that you didn't think were possible to conquer your fears. So these myths are like images that are present within our psyche that we can channel essentially. So when somebody is in the heat of combat, when they're fighting, or maybe they're in a conflict with someone, a righteous conflict, they are channeling Aries energy, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Or they are Aries in that moment. If they're trying to get someone to love them, they can worship they could you know, Eros channel or Eros or Aphrodite or if they're, you know, going out on like a boating adventure, they Poseidon, you or know. Or Charon, the ferryman of the river Styx. Yeah. Carry people across. That too. Yeah. He's, you know, um, I thought, you know, I think Egyptian mythology is interesting too because mm. they, they had like a combination of human gods, like Osiris would be like a human god, but someone like Anubis would have a jackal head and he was... He's kind of similar to Osiris as he was the bringer of the, he was like the judger of the dead. And you would have, uh, you know, other people, uh, other gods like Horus, who had like the head of a falcon. And he was like more of like a a sun god Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of like Apollo almost. It's fascinating too throughout basically every mythology. Every god is associated with like mm -hmm. the sun or the moon or a planet Mm -hmm. or a place. It's interesting too in Greek myth, uh, different trees and animals are associated with God. So it's like, there's so many myths of, you know, a God dies and then they turn into a stag or like 
a god dies and becomes a cypress tree. And I think it shows the beauty of their view of the world because they, they thought of the world as a magical place. When well, they looked they at a tree, yeah. they might have thought like, you know, this is actually this god in his body. That's just one form of that. Or this bird, that's an omen from Zeus or something like that. So it's a more mythical way of living, which I think is very powerful to fill the void of meaning that many of us have um, due to our culture, which kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater because it said, you know, the gods are not real. There's no Mm -hmm. use to them. Whether or not they're real is up for debate, but they are real to our minds. Because these stories of these myths are found in every great work of literature, every great movie, like Star Wars, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's a good place to kind of enter in and like what effect do myths have on our lives? Well, George Lucas studied Joseph Campbell a lot, very extensively. And Joseph Campbell taught all the different mythologies from over the world. And he was trying to seek what was the unity between them. Um, and kind of give like a map for life mm-hmm. uh, through that. And uh, George Lucas studied that. And he used those ideas to make the Star Wars story. And I think that's why it has such a powerful effect on our minds. And we love it. And, you know, we feel elated when they win. And we feel terrible when they're losing. is because they're representations of us in a symbolic yeah. form that we're not aware of. So when, you know, the Sith is winning and the Jedi is losing... Why do we feel emotional about that? There's no Sith or Jedi in this world. It's it's always goes goes back to the good and evil. But we see know? that in ourselves. We see that in like us struggling in our lives and how we feel when that or when we see other people struggling and how it feels when people overcome that. And I think that's why watching these things, reading these things, they teach you about yourself. They teach you about the human condition. They teach you that there's a lesson for every part of your life, if you choose to view it that way, mm-hmm. you can view a tragedy as the most terrible thing, become jaded, bitter towards the world, or you can view it as a tribulation, as a challenge that you need to overcome, as a lesson you need to learn. And really, that's that's most of the choice we have, I think, is mm-hmm. how we react to our circumstances. Because we can't control most of our circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. Things happen, bad things happen to us, good things happen to us. We have some element of agency over that. We do certain things to get a good result or avoid it. But, you know, bad stuff happens to us no matter what we do. How do we deal with it? Do we, you know, does it destroy us or are we reborn through it? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what's, uh, that's what's really great about it. And um, it also, with, um, yeah, what, what was I going to say? Um the struggles and the challenges of life. The I thought it was interesting how a lot of the gods are the same in throughout different cultures. Like you have Thoth, who's the Egyptian god of travel, mm. and you have Hermes, the Greek god of travel. Mm. You know, and Egypt and Greek aren't and then too you have far Mercury, away. Yeah, you, who is just Roman. a yeah. redo of uh, Hermes, and then you have the planet Mercury, which is a fast-moving planet. Mm-hmm. So quick, quicksilver. And I guess you know Egypt and Greece are very close. They're just like right over the Mediterranean, mm. you know? So I'm, I'm sure they've, I'm sure different stories have got like translated and... There was probably some level of kind of communication of these myths. Oh, definitely. But I think too that there are elements of the human psyche. That's why they, mm-hmm. they pop up in, you know, even in uh, Aboriginal uh, areas, they have myths that are, they haven't had contact with uh, 
these other civilizations at all, according to their history. But they have myths that are almost exactly the same as like ancient Egyptian myths, really? uh, ancient Christian myths. And I think the reason is because these stories are fundamentally human experiences, like the experience of finding love, the experience of fighting for love, the experience of tragedy, the experience of death, the experience of facing a monster and overcoming, of facing obstacles and overcoming. It's just human The nature. experience of yeah. betrayal. These are all like deep human things that can either destroy you or they can make you strong depending on how you react to them. I think that's what most of this life is, is us trying to, you know, find some meaning. Because at the end of the day, like, we're in a weird place, man. Like, we're just, like, alive. We we exist, and we're not really sure why we're here, but we try to make meaning out of our lives. You know, we go to work. We try to do good things. We try to understand ourselves. We try to, you know, keep ourselves healthy. But what is it all for? That's the great question. You know, it's a cliche question. What's the meaning of life? But I think that without uh, an understanding of what the meaning of life is for you, you can't live a meaningful life. If you're not living a meaningful life, you can't really be integrated. You can't really be healthy, psychologically speaking or physically speaking. Like, for example, if someone thinks, you know, nothing has any meaning and their life has no value, like, then why would they eat a healthy what's the, diet? What's, There's no reason. Yeah. What's no what, reason. what's the point of living at that point? There know? is there is none because it was none was uh, yeah, none was given. By yeah, them. mythology definitely like keeps people you know going. Like oh you know and it, and it can relate to different aspects. Like mm. someone with a job, like oh, I want to go for this position, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. or you know, running like uh like ten miles or something. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to finish this. You know, mm-hmm. like it definitely. What's it your definitely um, What's your favorite, like, mythologically-based movie? Or one of your favorites, and why? Um, Mythologically-based movie? Yeah, it has a lot of themes in it. So, well, I mean, Star Wars, I love. Yeah, of course. You know, you have uh, Lord of the Rings Mm. is cool. Um, Tolkien was a very interesting... Yeah, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, he... There's a great documentary about him. Oh, it's not actually a documentary, it's... Uh, like a biographical pick. I mean, he made his own mythology up, which uh, it was just and his own language. He, his, he studied language, elven language. And he created like languages with syntax and meaning, and um, he's very creative. He fought yeah. in World War One too. He did. He was a spy, I think. Right? Really? I I believe so. Interesting. Yeah. For the British, yeah. It's it's just unbelievable, and like a lot of a lot of Lord of the Rings, um. A lot of moments and battles are kind of based off certain World War One battles. In that uh, biography, it showed that he had visions while he was fighting because he was like delirious, had mm-hmm. fevers, and he was on near death um, experience level. And he supposedly had visions of a lot of these terrible things, like these reapers and these mm. um, dark, dark elements of humanity. Because Lord of the Rings is a really dark movie. It's very dark. But they're, it's very they're very dark deep. movies, yes. And I think it's, that's what's a beautiful thing about like movies like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings is they show like real darkness and real evil in a way that we understand. But at the end, they show that good and the light can triumph. Mm-hmm. But they don't give an easy victory. Yeah. It no. always seems like it's at the point of most bleak, that's when they win. But not before that. It's never an easy victory. And I no, think that's hard. exactly how life is. At our greatest moment of darkness is our greatest chance for light, if we view it that way. Definitely. Just like uh, Star Wars, you have the Jedi and the Sith. You know, good versus evil. 
And uh, it's interesting how he makes those uh, the lightsaber colors, you know, like Jedi usually use blue and green and red uh, is, you know, or Sith lightsabers. Mm. And uh, he has this, it's like his own mythology where they use kyber crystals mm. and whatever it bleeds to is what color it is. You know, the Sith, I, I guess red, you know, uh, stands for, you know, hate and Anger. You know, evil. So the Sith's kyber crystal bleeds red mm. and um you know blue is like very uh i guess means like hope and um like triumph and uh it's interesting because mace windu's lightsaber was purple yeah he was one of and, the few with the purple lightsaber. and supposedly mace windu's backstory is that he used uh some kind of jedi technique called vapad and w- uh, what vapad is is where he i i, I believe it's like where he like he's mostly good, but he uses uh, essence from the dark side too. Mm. You know, red and blue they make purple. Mm. So I guess that's why his kyber crystal. What do you think blue the green means? Like Luke Skywalker and yes. Yoda had green lights. Supposedly, you know? supposedly, I think that meant uh, that they were more diplomatic mm. rather than um, like combative. I think mm. I don't. I I know. I think the blue lightsaber meant that they were more. Uh, they were more skilled. Like physically with the lightsaber, but the green lightsabers meant they were more like skilled in the force. Interesting, you know. I think the like color symbolism plays a big part, and I wouldn't. No, it does. I wouldn't be surprised if George Lucas actually picked the colors based on color symbolism. Mm. So red is obviously the the color of you know power and anger. You know, both sees red, um, and kind of like very. It's a very strong color, like stoplight. Um, and blue is more like calm. It's like more regal. It's more um, sky-like. Mm-hmm. And green is kind of like innocent and like natural and kind of good-hearted. Like if you know Skywalker and Yoda are very good-hearted characters. Whereas the ones who have blue lightsabers are kind of... Yeah, like Obi-Wan. Yeah, they're more like um, like wise. They're more wise and they are more kind of like regal type of characters. And the ones with red lightsabers like Darth Maul. Like, yeah. They're oh, just, they're, they're powerful uh-huh. and evil and because um, they use their it's, power uh, for, for bad. But it, it's interesting how like in Harry Potter where, uh, you know, he's Gryffindor and... Um, you know, Voldemort and Malfoy, they were Slytherin. Uh, well, Slytherin, like they're all related to snakes. Yeah, and uh-huh. Harry Potter's interesting because he's the he Griffin. can speak the snake language. Mm-hmm. So he has like he has that. some evil aspect to him. Or at least he can converse with it. So he's integrated with the shadow. That's why he's able to defeat Voldemort. You know, I think it also shows that, um, I think you were saying this before, but like it's not always good to be angry. Yeah. Like, but it is a common human trait and we have to use it at appropriate times. Right. Because if we're never angry, then... There's a place for anger. Like, um, when a loved one is being, uh, you know, harmed or you're being harmed and your boundaries are being broken, anger is like a perfectly healthy um, expression of emotion. But I think what happens is because from an early age, we're taught that anger and these emotions are essentially bad no matter what, we suppress them then they don't develop. So then when anger does come out, it comes out in a very childlike way, like a temper tantrum, not kind of like mature anger, uh, which is boundary setting. Mature anger is like, no, you don't do that to me. It's no, Mm -hmm. that's what, that's what mature anger is. It's not necessarily even violent. That's 
more immature anger. That's anger that hasn't gotten a chance to develop and understand that you know violence isn't the way to deal with things. But sometimes putting your foot down is the way to deal with things. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you have to. Sometimes I you mean, have you to can't... have a conflict. Yeah. To uh, solve an issue, sometimes you know that hard conversation that you have to have with somebody. There's going to be conflict, and it's really scary. But if you don't have it, you live. A life, as some have said, in uh, quiet around. desolation, quiet yeah. desperation, because yeah. you're suppressed. So those are necessary emotions. They just need to be um, controlled, channeled. And it's interesting that the Sith are always telling the Jedi that like you're more like me than you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's they do true. say that they fight against their dark side, uh-huh. but they still have a dark side. Well, it's not like a Jedi doesn't have a dark side. They just choose. The light side over it because they see the the danger of the dark side and they don't want to live that kind of life. Another thing so we were saying before with Adam and Eve, how how Eve was tempted by that, uh, by the snake, which is interesting because we were just talking about Slytherin and Harry yeah. Potter, how that's a snake. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the Sith, they tempt the Jedi to become uh, mm. Sith and like on the dark side. Yeah. You That's know? why I thought this movie... Okay, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the <laughs> yeah. new Star Wars, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, just pause or uh-huh. did. Maybe you'll have a mythological maybe, understanding. Maybe you can release this a little later. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like two or three weeks later. But anyway, there's a part where um, Kylo Ren is trying to convince Rey to go to the dark side and become a Sith. Because Many times. her yeah. destiny, he says, is to become a Sith because she is the daughter of Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Right? Ooh, spoiler. Yeah. So I, that's why I gave the warning. <laughs> so she's kind of battling with that, and she even has a vision that she's sitting as a Sith. So she really believes, oh no, like everything that I've done has actually led me to evil. It's Which, my Can destiny. you imagine how yeah. terrible of a realization that is when you're like, I thought I was fighting for the good, and now I'm fated to become the exact evil I was trying to fight against? You know, those who, you know, fight the monster, the dragon for too long, become dragons themselves. Mm. So Kylo Ren is trying to convince Rey to come on the dark side. I think what's beautiful about this movie is that she understands the danger of it. She resists it. And in the end, she actually turns Kylo Ren to the good side and brings him back to Ben, brings him back to his good self. And then they have this beautiful scene at the end where he kind of sacrifices his life for her and dies. And then they kind of kiss at the end. Um, It's kind of like, um, so the whole tale was romantic in a sense um, of the force of, you know, good bringing the evil back to good. And I think it's a very hopeful story because it tells us no matter how far gone we are. So Kyle Ren is always saying things like, it's too late for me to come back. He's like the prodigal son who went against God, who, you know, killed people and now that's it for his life. He's evil and he just decided that's the best he can do. And uh, she kind of tells him, no, there you you can always come back. It definitely teaches come us your that we have like options. You know, nothing ever is necessarily set in stone with like our feelings or and in, you know, in Star Wars when she's asked what's her name mm-hmm. even she, though her name is Ray Palpatine she says, she says Skywalker Skywalker yeah so there's a quote before where they say you know family isn't the most important thing like you choose what you want to be you don't just because you're from this family doesn't mean you have to be like them at all but it's actually interesting um, the whole kind of Skywalker family the, in the earlier movies, Darth Vader also kills Palpatine. He should have been dead, um, <laughs> but he helps yeah. Luke in his moment of greatest need and actually uh-huh. redeems himself. So I think that's the most beautiful thing. And he saves Luke. Yeah. It's actually, if you think about it, 
not many movies have that. They have like, this is the Especially villain. Today, this yeah. is the good guy. The good guy wins over the villain. But in these movies, they have a deeper meaning, which is not everyone who is bad is beyond redemption. Even somebody as bad as Darth Vader or Kylo Ren who are killing people aimlessly. They can get turned back. They can return and then they can do great good and actually the greatest good. Because in the end, Kylo Ren is the reason the race survives and why Palpatine dies because she he kind of brings her back. And uh, Darth Vader is the reason why Luke survives because he kills Palpatine. Palpatine rebirths. So Palpatine is like the ultimate evil who like you can't yeah. even really kill. He's, he's like Hitler. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Although Hitler... Killed himself, but yeah, supposedly. <laughs> supposedly, there's some stories that he went to Antarctica or yeah, um, or Brazil or, or something. Yeah. South America or with uh, the other Nazi generals, which uh-huh. is probably more likely, but who knows? Yeah. Um, there's some contention about that because um, I've heard the story that the uh, Russian military who found his body like so also released a message that this was not him. This was a doppelganger. Well, I think I, I from what I've heard, I don't going off topic a little bit, but like I heard he saw what they were doing to Mussolini. Mm-hmm. Like they were just decimating his body. So he told uh, Martin Borman, his uh, second in command to burn his body when he committed suicide. But you know, um, but why, why wasn't that the story? I it's there's questions know. to be asked, but, there was other like Nazi leaders like um, Adolf Eichmann who they eventually caught, mm. you know, down in Argentina. It's terrible. They uh, yeah. they fled uh, to South America, yeah. and a lot of the Nazi scientists actually came to the United States. Yeah, and worked like, like on Verna von Braun. It's uh, World War Two is one of the most fascinating. Actually, speaking times of history. Speaking uh, yeah. speaking. About like mythology, it's interesting how he named the missions like the Apollo missions, mm. Apollo Eleven, you know, Apollo Thirteen. There were the moon missions, you know, and how we name uh, certain how we named our planets after the Roman gods. Exactly, yeah, you know, and the moons, like the moons of uh-huh. like the moons Andromeda. of Mars, are actually named after Ares's children. Really? Yeah. Really. His exact children. Yeah. So mm. there's myth has a. Much to teach us about uh, humanity. And I think World War II was one of the last periods where there was a great mythical battle on the earth between like freedom, really good forces and like really evil forces, not like lukewarm forces, but forces that were really like the Sith who really wanted to destroy, who really wanted power by any means. And um, their whole ethos was actually very based in kind of occult and mystical studies, but they took completely the wrong path. They took the dark side path. Definitely. Uh, it's very, it's very fascinating, man. Um, it's, I think that fundamentally, this is a thought I've been having is for, for anyone who has like, um, a great destiny. And I think many of us have great destinies in our lives. It's always just a question of, do we take the destiny and go with it? Or do we settle for less? It's very difficult to go the path of destiny because it involves tons of struggle and pain and it's just terrifying. It's never, you know, it's not super it's, blissful. It, it's never easy. But it yeah. leads to bliss, but it first comes through a lot of struggle. But I think we all face that. Like, we all face the common negative um, emotions and we have to grapple with them. And if you haven't grappled with them yet, you just haven't seen them. It's not that you've overcome them. It's that they haven't been shown to you. So it's like somebody... You don't understand greed until you're given the opportunity to be to, greedy. To you don't understand like yeah. you know power unless you're put in a position of power and then 
it's amazing that these, you know, Nazi uh, prison, you know, concentration camp guards, they're just regular civilians. They weren't necessarily even psychopaths. But mm-hmm. when you put them in a position like that, with power, all their gonna... dark stuff comes out in ways that they actually, I've heard it said that PTSD is in, uh, in many cases, it's caused by somebody experiencing pure evil, either from themselves or from someone else, like in warfare, either they commit a terrible act that they didn't even think was possible for them and, or somebody doing something terrible that they saw or something terrible happening and they just can't reconcile it. They can't reconcile it with, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a good guy from the Midwest, you know, just a nice, you know, Christian God loving person. And then this happens, they can't reconcile that in their minds. Um, and that's what causes that post-traumatic stress. They say is that they just have an aspect of themselves and something that happened that they just can't integrate with themselves. They can't Hmm. get over it. And that's a big part. Some psychiatrists actually use mythology and these uh, mythological images to guide people through these terrible events to show them that, yes, this happened. Yes, this evil that you faced is real and exists within you and exists within everybody. And it's something that you battle against. So it's not, you know, something that happened to them anymore. It's something that they can overcome now. It's Mm -hmm. a different way of viewing it. They, They just accept it rather than pushing it out the window. They just choose not to do that again, but they realize this really happened. This is, I really did this. And that they can't change. I didn't think I was able to. But that's what they, um, that's what's said about the integration with shadow. It's one of the first steps in the integration of the uh, psyche or personality is um, you encounter the shadow and you have to integrate it Hmm. into your being. Where where was this from? uh, This is Jungian psychology. Jungian psychology. Yeah, so... um, the idea is that our shadow has all of our, you know, what we call our negative aspects, like I was saying, aggression, anger, all that, but they're in a crude form. If you just suppress them, you'll never get the deeper human energies that exist. So the aggression and anger and all these in their um, transformed aspects, their motivation, their conflict resolution when they're enlightened qualities, their strength, their uh, integrity, they become these beneficial aspects. But if you don't have those, you can't um, ever have that strength. Because it's like, if you, if you can't set boundaries, people will walk all over you. And mm-hmm. the worst part about that is that you'll actually despise yourself for letting people walk all over you. And I don't think anyone deserves that. No, definitely And not. people who try to, you know do these things to people and try to get power over people and try to control them or whatever. They're also they come from a place of weakness because they don't have that, that deep spiritual power that accepts that everyone has their own free will and has sovereignty. And that that's like one of the biggest things that you can break. Actually, that's an idea in magic that black magic, which is the kind of evil form magic. It all has to do with altering the free will of others. Hmm. So anything that alters the free will of another is considered black magic, the black arts. So if you, you know, cast like a love spell on somebody, you're forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. That's like the foundation of evil. Because the foundation of evil is of many things, I think. One, it's suffering for suffering's sake. It's actually uh, some of these, you know, Nazi guards, they enjoyed the suffering for itself. They enjoyed torturing people. Um, They want to destroy life and they reveled in the destruction of life, which is the greatest evil that can possibly exist. It's like very conscious evil. It's not accidental evil. And then there's, um, 
Yeah, there's there's kind of like uh, like I guess like accidental kind of or yeah, there's or, the evil that yeah. is nothing is done up, but there's an there's another type of um of oh it's seeking it's interrupting the free will of others, it's seeking pleasure for yourself, no matter like what power like like someone well that's what power that's what that is is someone they want their way and they don't care what happens. They want this, that, and this, and they don't really care about who's affected in the meanwhile, negatively. That's kind of like a more, uh, less, that's more accidental evil. Pure evil is suffering for suffering's sake, and then a lower level of evil is just pure selfishness, and you harm people in that. Yeah, you have to have balance. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't get too angry, or you can't be too nice. You know, you have to, there has to be some type of balance. Just like, like a lot of, a lot of girls say, like, they don't like, uh, like too much of a nice guy, but they don't like a guy that's too much of a dick. You know what I mean? You know, you have to be kind of a dick sometimes, you know, like you got to make jokes or, uh, I think that's just because a nice guy is not actually a nice guy. It's a facade. It's a A nice guy is concealing their uh, intentions because they're not integrated with their shadow aspects. So they are kind of people pleasing and no one really mm -hmm. like, you get a sense for what someone's doing that and you don't, really like it there's something kind of not not good especially when someone's hiding their intentions and they're trying to get something they're acting nice mm-hmm. it kind of comes off like it's kind of yeah it's mischievous it kind of comes off as you know distasteful uh-huh um but i think what everyone seeks for themselves and you know for themselves to be and for their partner is somebody who's really integrated somebody who is uh, aware of themselves is able to you know express the right emotion at the right time is able Definitely. to make the right choice always chooses the good able to um defend themselves and, and their family if needed um but you can't do that if you suppress all anger you suppress all aggression i think mythology also goes back to like our animal instincts as well mm, it does it definitely does well speaking you know, of animal instincts you and i both know that training in martial arts is i think probably one of the quickest ways to uh, face the shadow and also definitely integrate is. it, it because you're dealing is. with things like aggression and violence and these things, but they become kind of enlightened because you you mm-hmm. don't actually try to hurt the person and you get and you get used to them. It's like almost like a daily thing where yeah. where something used to and be... and fear you yeah. constantly experience uh-huh. fear and you still have to charge forward because uh-huh. if you go back, that's exactly how you lose when you start getting afraid and start. It's interesting. We were just sparring before, and we were going pretty pretty hard on each other, man. Yeah, it was, but we're still was, like we're still really good here, friends, you know. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. Not even the little bitest of uh, bad emotion towards you. In fact, I'm like, yeah, this is my this is my dude. Mm-hmm. But like, that's because that it. People think of like violence as evil, but that's violence is the intention. Like we weren't really trying to hurt each other. We were uh, playing we're, a game. Yeah. We were playing a physical game with each other. Um, a physical game that is useful for, you know, if someone really is trying to harm you, then it's a different story. Then it's, you create, you create like a bond. Like I, you know, I've been doing submission grappling, uh, you know, jujitsu and stuff, uh, for almost like five years. And you really create a bond with, you know, the people who you roll with and, you know, it's just like, you're letting them have your life in their hands and vice versa. And so much, nothing like, yeah. There's nothing like stronger than that, you know. Like someone could choke choke you out and kill you, or someone could break your arm, or you know, 
uh, torque your knee. You know, it's, yeah. it's and uh, it becomes kind of like a, like a brotherhood or a oh, sisterhood. It, it definitely is. Um, and it's definitely like that at the, the gym I train at, Mataleo. Shouts out <laughs> to all my uh, all my warriors there. And shout my out, coach Jacob. Shout out to Tenth Planet Long Island. It's inspirational, man. I um, one of the guys I train with, uh, Nico. I cornered him for one of his fights, so I was like the ring man and kind of you know helping him out with ice pack and kind of giving motivational words. So I was like standing right right next to the ring and seeing this you know full contact Muay Thai match, which is you know Thai kickboxing. So they're grabbing each other's heads, they're kicking each other in the head, they're punching each other, they're you know going yeah, at it's... it. Um, and it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. And I understand, like, there was so much human spirit there in that competition that, like, everything else, it's kind of like in Fight Club. You know, in Fight Club, he's like, you know, he comes back to work after the Fight Club and he's like, everything seems so back dull. To normal. Yeah. It's, it's probably like that for veterans. Definitely is like that for veterans. But martial arts is kind of cool because you don't get traumatized because you choose to do it. And it's all done in goodwill. Uh-huh. It's not people are. If for someone the most part, for if the someone most tries part. to hurt you in sparring, yeah, you're like, I'm never sparring with you again. And you tell the coach, they're like, get out of here, man. Like uh-huh. we we don't do that kind of like violence. Like you know, we're not actually trying to hurt each other. We're trying to get better. We're That's, trying to get stronger. Yeah, it's either for self defense or you know, competing against someone that you. Have and it's beautiful. Met in your life. There's a lot of respect, and there. That's why I love watching uh, these matches where you know, after slugging at each other for like ten minutes, they just like shake each other's hands yeah, and hug and hug. stuff. It's like uh-huh. that's beautiful, man. That's it's awesome. that's like conflict resolution, and mm-hmm. it's like deepest, and it, it really shows the the human spirit and how you know, especially when someone's tired and they're hurt and still pushing themselves. You see, like, wow, humans are so powerful. They're such you know, beautiful divine creatures that can face adversity and march towards. That's, a, that's just, it blows my mind. Whenever yeah, I see it, man, that's why I think there's such an allure to watching martial arts. You know, some people will say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just, just you violent. like watching people get hit. Yeah, you know, that's wrong. It's not wrong. all about that. It's but it's really, sometimes it is. Like so, yeah, <laughs> sometimes it is. But <laughs> what I've seen is that at that like high level, like professional MMA fights, like UFC type stuff. They both appreciate their effort. There's love. There's tears shed. Uh-huh. There's hugging in blood. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. man. They're actually very emotional people, I feel I like think, sometimes. You know, uh, Musashi says, um, the way of the warrior is in feeling. There's much feeling in the way of the warrior. It's very it's very hard. You know, they say this guy's got heart. He keeps pushing through. There's a lot of emotion in it because there definitely when is. you're uh, fighting or you're sparring, you're expressing physical emotion. You're expressing your personality, basically. I mean, everyone has a different style. They get that style where? From the From same place they get a personality. Uh-huh. So somebody who's very um, like cerebral, very airy, very creative, they fight in that way. They fight moving around a lot. They fight trying to be inventive. That's kind of like my style. And somebody who's more like, you know... Analytical. Um, and conservative and kind of, you know, like, straightforward and kind of rugged and pragmatic. They, they fight like... They, they rep... They like, bread and like butter. They, they use just the yeah. basics and they, uh-huh. you know, they are very clean fighters. I think, I think both can be good. And they're both good. You know? The they're balance good. is good. Like, usually East Coast Jiu-Jitsu tends to be, you know, more analytical, more drilling. And West Coast uh, Jiu-Jitsu tends to be more like creative you know if i get swept whatever i have a good guard you know you have to have like both you know like you don't want to get swept and just take it you want to fight for the position Mm. but 
you don't want to uh, rep the same moves, like go for like only like have only four submissions when there's like when you could have like 30 something mm. submissions and be really creative and, and use those submissions for other submissions, you know? You know, I've, I've said this before to people. I'll say it again. It still holds true. Actually, pursuing martial arts has been one of the biggest changes in in myself that I've probably ever had. Me too. In terms of everything. You know, they say that you just feel better by yourself. You get more uh, confidence. It's true. And I think it's because you put yourself in like really uncomfortable positions all the mm -hmm. time and you come out on top and then... You know, you get better and better and you're just like, wow, I can kind of do anything if I just really stick to it. Like, I think that's what I can it's go about, from being though. not knowing what's going on at all uh -huh. to being like, oh, you know, good at it. And it's like, wow, I can I can do that for, with anything. Martial arts and combat is about putting yourself uh, in uncomfortable positions, you know, ha uh, making yourself comfortable and uncomfort. You know, which is very hard to do. And understanding that's why, that that's where growth comes from. Exactly. And not, not being afraid of it. Exactly. And actually, in the face of Medusa, instead of being paralyzed, mm. you keep moving forward and you take Medusa's head off and you realize Medusa ain't that strong. Exactly. And there's also a hero's, uh, uh, a hero's journey in martial arts. Because, like, mm. when you first start out, you're going to get your ass beat. But well, the, then, the interesting you know, thing is one of the first things that you feel as a martial artist is, like, hubris. Like the feeling that you are greater than this and that. Like when you first start training, mm -hmm. you feel like you're, you know, you feel like you're the man. Like, oh, I know how to kick and punch. Yeah, but it. the more you train, the more you realize I actually don't know very much. <laughs> exactly. But when someone really good against me, I'm like. Uh-huh. You just get the, wrecked. But that's like the hubris against the gods. Because you, at first, when something goes good for you, you think, oh, I'm the best. And, you know, everything's going to always go Sometimes good it plays to your ego. It pl exactly plays to your ego. Just like, just like the top guys, you know, sometimes they're too ego- uh, egocentric and then they end up losing they get caught by by something I think that's the highest form of martial arts is no mind mm -hmm. is somebody who is just there they're just present and they're using their techniques win or lose and there's nothing too. personal in it they're like a force of nature almost that's what we're training to be we're training to be true humans through a method that that's humans physical. have been using since since, since existing and all yeah. animals get in conflict it's it's as fundamental to our nature as eating and drinking and sexuality is definitely and that's I why it comes out in weird agree. ways like it gives a healthy release i think for anger and it you know it, it's it's very ironic but every time i go out after training a uh, sparring i feel really calm i feel really nice I, i'm mm -hmm. like a kind of good humored and I don't have any irritation towards people and I feel like good. You would think that after, you know, being punched and punching someone for a while, you'd be like all angry and it would make you, but it's the exact opposite. Yeah. It releases that energy from you. I like, uh, I like martial arts cause it has like the key three things, which I, which I say, mm. uh, it has self-defense, um, athleticism mm. and creativity, which mm. are my favorites. Those are those are my key three. That's why I love submission grappling mm. and martial arts. Self defense, athleticism, and creativity. Let me add one more. Discipline. Discipline. That's right. Discipline. Meaning, the core forcing, four now. The core forcing four. <laughs> yourself to be led by Zeus, which is your your highest mind. So saying like, I need to do this, that, and this, and actually doing it. That's where all human greatness comes from. All of it. Because you could be, you can be sitting 
on a couch watching Netflix or you could be training. All right. If, if, um, if Tesla was like, yeah, I like all this, you know, electronic stuff and I like making gadgets, but like, let me just go play, you know, football or if he was in our times, he'd be like, I'm just going to play video games all the time. Nothing would have happened. No greatness would have happened. No. That's not to say anything about video games. I do like video games. Mm-hmm. I do like playing a lot. Yeah, bit. I mean, when I have free time. But uh-huh. it's important to not um, not get sidetracked. To not get sidetracked and to have enough discipline to say like, this is the time for work and this is time for play. And I think you need both. And yeah, and you, you definitely don't, yeah need you both. don't want to overtrain because if you're overtraining, you're just being then, miserable. First of all, that's you're uh-huh. gonna hate martial arts. Yeah. If you do anything so much that you start not liking it, then you shouldn't do it. You yeah. have ruined your own hobby, basically. So sometimes it would happen like that. Like I'd be training too often and I would kind of start like lose my enthusiasm for it. And I'd be like, I would kind of like be in training. I'd be like, oh, you feel another frail. Day. And- but I would take like a week off and I like over the week off, I'd be like yeah. getting excited about like, oh, I can't wait to go back. And I'd go back and I was all fresh. So sometimes you just need to take a yeah, break. That just happened with me. Yeah. I took mm. like 10 days off. And I was thinking, oh, you know, after the holidays, I'm going to be like so bad. And like, here I am with like these crazy passes and my my guard retention kind of got better. My takedowns for some reason got better. And, uh, you know, sometimes you need the break, mm. you know. I think there's uh, there's always a process of uh, breakdown and build up. And I think mm-hmm. the mythological themes of like uh, death and rebirth uh, tell mm-hmm. us the story of like, you know, you have dark periods in your life. There's something to learn, and then you're reborn, and you're a new person after them. Just um, like uh, like when Persephone went mm, down to Hades, mm. it tells us about the seasons. You know, uh, fall and winter are more along the lines of death. And Going spring, into the underworld, or the you go deep into contemplation and the unconscious stuff, and you know, you go kind of into yourself, and in the spring you come back out for that time of the year. It's also interesting how um, you know Zeus and the other gods for the most part are up upon mount olympus where it's high and mm. hades and Charon and stuff is in the all, lowest place the yeah, highest and so, the lowest places mm. just like in star wars where mm. uh mcgregor to um, high ground <laughs> end this off i'd like to ask you what impact would you say that mythology has had on your life and what's like aspect of mythology that you'd like to share with people for them to have benefit as well i think it's influenced me in like as a man uh trying to be the best i can be Mm. trying to um trying to come off as like like a good-hearted person Mm. um i think mythology has made me strive Mm. for greatness Mm. And I think it can make other people strive for greatness. Mm. I mean, I, I also think it's like really cool, like with the gods. Yeah, it is, and like, it is yeah, just interesting. You know, like, and, yeah. and the stories are fascinating mm. and it teaches you lessons. Mm. You know, it teaches you just about life. Mm. And and you can, you can even take it and j- just like the story you wrote, mm. it can be science fiction mm-hmm. and like in the future or it can be ancient. It can take place in any setting. It always has that theme no mm. matter what it is mm. the big takeaway for for me is that mythologies of all types now myth isn't only greek myth religions yes. are essentially founded on what i would call mythology definitely which are these kind of um stories of human 
triumph and struggle and death and rebirth and love and hatred, warfare, all these things. Um, It gives us these stories and reminds us that the human experience, although we all have our own unique paths that we walk, still we share in our ancestors and the ancients. They had the same struggles we did on a fundamental human level. You know, they didn't have problems with their iPhone, but they, (laughs) (laughs) but they had, you know, problems getting water or something like, like the most basic. Exactly. So like the issues of humanity have always existed. And I think myths of all type, they provide a certain kind of like, uh, enrichment of your life and a meaning because when something happens to you, instead of being, you know, petrified, overcome or petrified, you remember, Hmm, how would a hero act in this situation? Would he, would he run away or would he do what's right? Even if it was dangerous. And I think without like a deeper feeling for that being possible, it's very hard to do it because we'll take the easy way out and the path of the hero, uh, the path of integration is always the hardest path. It's not the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is just is the root of pretty much every evil humanity to some extent. It's cheating. Yeah. It's, it's cheating, cheating. cheating life. You're cheating your spirit. Mm-hmm. You're cheating yourself. And in the game of life, cheaters always lose in the end. Yeah, they do. Mm. They do. All right, my they friends. They never get away with it. Thank you so much for uh, for the discussion and for for being an excellent uh, narrator for the story, man. It's very good. Thank you for having me and on. I appreciate it training with you. You as well. Good friends. Thank you. Thank you.